0: What matters? What matters? What's important? What should we be, we be doing and what should we be thinking about? It's a pretty important question. It's a pretty, pretty vital thing. What matters is huge. And so that's what we're going to talk about for the next few weeks. And especially what matters to the heart of God. That is even more important, right? What matters to me is football, food, my wife, and well, that's about it. Now, uh, what you know, what matters to me can change sometimes, right? But what matters to God never changes. And if we base our church off of what just merely matters to me or to us at this moment or whatever else, well, we'll be probably a church centered around football, baseball. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, we'll, we'll be centered around things that are changeable, won't we? But if we can do things that matter to God and we can understand his heart and do those things, well, that's a, a pretty great thing. And so it's important for us to see and do what matters, if you would this morning, open your Bible to uh, Luke chapter 15 this morning. Luke 15, and, and in that passage, God or, or Jesus gives a, uh, an important story on what matters to the heart of God. It's important to see and do what matters. Do you get that yet? I've said it a few times. If we don't, it'll cost us richly. For instance, the 1996 U.S. women's softball team learned that. Uh, you may not know, I didn't know until this last week in research for this, but uh, the 1996 U.S. women's softball team was pretty amazing. That was an incredible team. They lost one game, and they had participated in the 1996 U- Olympic Games in, in, uh, in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, the team was almost unstoppable. Uh, if you did, you did not want to play that team. To be honest with you, I think if they played the Twins today... Uh, they probably would have won. or They probably would win. The twins are terrible, and so they were a great, great team. They they won. Or they won almost every game except for one game? And the one game they lost is an important lesson for us in discovering what matters. What happened on that fateful day?s This team was playing the Australian team. Also a pretty good team. Uh, not as good as the Americans, but pretty, pretty close and, and pretty good. And it was a, a close game. It was actually 0-0. Uh, no one had gotten on base through the, through the game. It was a hard-fought battle. Uh, it was a pitcher's duel until the fifth inning. When our third baseman, I'll get her name right here, our third baseman, uh, her name was Danielle Tyler, smashed a home run over the center field fence if you play baseball it's pretty good center field's a hard place to hit a ball she smashed it over the fence and she destroyed the ball crushed it and she is so excited because nobody else had gotten a hit for the whole game that she is floating as she said around the baselines excited about this and she is passionate and and so were her her teammates so her teammates come out of the dugout and they, as many times happens, they, they met her at, uh, at the home plate. And so they're there, they're waiting for her, they're excited for her. She rounds third base, they're there, they pick her up and they carry her off the field and they're excited. Now this is the fifth inning, okay, this is the fifth inning. Now softball games are shorter, seven innings long, uh, but it's at this point would be one nothing. The problem was... They forgot to do what matters. A foundational truth some of you all who, who know baseball are, are nodding your heads. A foundational thing for when you place baseball is you have to touch all of the bases, including when you hit a home run. That's why you see people when they hit a home run, they go around all the bases. Because that's the rules. And the rules state that if you don't hit all bases before you leave the field of play, you're called out. So what happened was they carried Danielle in a euphoria. Yeah, they're so excited, carry her off the field, and uh, the Australian team sees this and they tell the ump, "Hey, ump, guess what? She didn't touch first or touch home plate, and she didn't." And so the ump, rather than celebrating with her, discovered what matters and said, "You're out." And then what happened was, the team continued to have no hits, and it went into extra innings, 0-0, and finally, the U.S. women's team lost their one and only game that year in that fashion. They lost 2-1 to one on that day. Pretty terrible, isn't it? Pretty horrible. If I'm Danielle, I'm thinking, my goodness, I'm ex- I was excited, I smashed it, we won fair and square, but I forgot to do what matters, What matters is important. What matters is vital. And so in an effort to show us what matters, in Luke chapter 15, verse 4, Jesus says this. And Read this here. He says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that's lost until he finds it? See, Jesus was an incredible teacher. Jesus knew how to take a very difficult concept, a very confusing concept, and break it down into one very understandable thing. And I'm in a terrible drawer here, but you get the point. And take it, it, make a very, very difficult concept and break it down to one very easy to understand thing. And that is this. What is God's heart? Because the reality is, and you can, hearts, no, not hearts, hearts, whoops, there we go, God's heart. The reality is, is that you can have a lot of knowledge about truth or knowledge about whatever, about God. Oh, God loves this and God does that, but it's hard to, it's easy to miss that unless you can see it happen. Jesus lays this down in this passage and says, this is what the heart of God looks like. He, God will search, everyone say search, God will search for the lost one. You go back up to verse 1 here, we see some context to this famous verse. It says this, it says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners. Now, notorious is a pretty great word there, right? Like, what do you have to do to be a notorious sinner? You know, that's what I want to know. You know, of course, tax collectors are that. But what else? We're notorious sinners. Now, if you're, no, if you're a sinner, you're one thing. If you're a notorious sinner, you are epic, man. You are a serious sinner. You are probably a Packers fan. No, I'm just kidding. No, it is. this is serious business. And so, that was for you, my friend. And, and so, this is serious business right here. So, these guys are here listening to Jesus teach. Now, number verse 2, this made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain. He was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. What's, what's amazing there, so you have two people listening. You have the notorious sinners and you have the religious elite. Two groups listening to Christ teach. They're here, they're listening, and their reaction to what he's saying is probably very different. The religious elite are going to answer like religious elite people would. Uh, the the sinners are going to answer like sinners. They're going to answer like the religious outcasts. And, and so, so you have these two groups of people listening to what he's saying. So to help them get on the same page, he doesn't give this long uh, explanation, this long theological explanation of what God does, says, or believes. He gives them a a word picture, a story. He says, wouldn't he leave the 99 in safety and go to the search for the one who is lost? Man, this this is foundational. For believers. It's foundational. This is foundational for believers to understand, think, believe. know. it's foundational for us here at Bridgeview. It's foundational to our mission. You can, can on one hand, know a lot about God. You can know a lot about who he is and, and what he is and what he does. You can know a lot about his heart in theory and in teaching, but in practice, it's so much deeper. How does God operate? What is important to God? What makes God tick? What does God want us to know that matters? Well, this is what it is. He would leave the 99 in the pen, the 99 safe ones in the pen, and go and search for the lost one, until he finds it. This illustrates what the kingdom of God and the heart of the Father is like. He'll leave the many and go search for the one who's lost. You have kids. You understand this concept. If you had kids, you understand this concept. I have two. And it'd be like this. If I was to go to the mall one day with my two girls... My wife was home, would have a she had a a, a rare day off, bless her heart. Uh, and we were I had at the mall and 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 I had them both there, and Michaela would wander off and be gone. I'd look for her, of course. And so I'd be, man, where is she at? Where is she? You know, I'd search and I, I was I would look, but I'll be honest with you. If I looked and I didn't find her, and I called my wife and said, hey honey, just wanted to let you know, Michaela, she's gone. I, I looked for her for a while, but you know, she's gone. But you know what? Emmy's still here. One of the two ain't bad. You know, we, we, can, we can always make more. You know, we can always do more. So, uh, you know, I, we're just letting killer go. We got one. That would not happen, would it? No way. Man, I would search. I would look. I would turn up whatever I had to turn up. I would lock that place down, man. I'd be a Molkov with Paul Blart, you know, riding around in the little things right there. Man, I'd grab one of those things. I would do whatever it took to find my little girl. I don't care how many more I've got. I don't care if I have 30 more, like the Duggers, I have 30 more, it doesn't matter to me because that one is precious. That one's important to me. I'll do whatever it takes. What's God's heart? What's God's heart? What is, how does God operate? What is foundational? What matters to God? Well, you, you see that right here. He is, God, he's the heart, he is the heart of a shepherd. You know, put yourself in his, his shoes for a minute this morning. If you're, 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 you're the shepherd and you get up in the morning and it's been a long night of sleeping outside under the stars and whatever else you do when you're a shepherd, and so you get up and you're, you're going to count your sheep. And so you go 1, uh, 2, three, 10, 20, 30, 50, 60, whatever. You're, you're counting your sheep and you come down to, to 90, 91, 92, 93, uh, 4, 95, 6, 7, I only see 99. What, what happened? I must have miscounted. So he counts again. This time puts his hand in all of them. One, two, three, 4, 10, 15, 20, 25. It's getting long. 30, 40. He goes through Not 95, 96, 97, 98. Oh no, I was right. 99. It's going to happen in that moment. Maybe that little sheep has wandered off and wandered off into some, some forest where there's animals and there's dangers and that little sheep doesn't even know what's there ahead of her. And she's wandered. Maybe she's found herself in some little spot, that some little crag of a cliff, or or she's hurting and she's broken. She's, she's hurt her leg and her, she can't get out. She's crying out for her master, crying out for her shepherd, come, help, help. The word says is that that master will go and search, will leave The 99 and safety to go find the one and search out that one until that one is found. Is she running through another shepherd's fields? Does she have no idea that she could be stolen, taken, claimed as another shepherd's sheep? Does she not know this? Does she not understand this? Maybe it's because of her doing. She is a knucklehead. She has done some things that she shouldn't have done. But in that moment, the master's concern is not what she's done. The master's concern is, I will leave the 99 to go find the one. What does God's heart say? That's... Jesus wanted us to see and understand is God's heart. There's no lost sheep GPS. There's no OnStar for lost sheep. Uh, that's I, I, I search till I find them. I search till I'm hungry. I search no matter what. I search until the lost one is found. That's the heart of God. And just in case the people who were listening the Religious elite and the religious outcasts heard this and and missed the point. They said, well, whatever. Just in case they missed that, Jesus reiterates it again later by by illustrating here what is celebrated in heaven. Verse 5, he says, "...and when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders." The picture here is the shepherd reaches down and picks up this lost sheep and puts it over his, 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 his neck and, and carries this poor little sheep home, maybe broken leg. Maybe the sheep is cold or tired or, or shivering. Maybe the sheep is fighting and does not want to do this. But the shepherd's found her and takes her home and carries her on his shoulders. When he arrives... He will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and who haven't strayed away. What we celebrate shows a lot about who we are, doesn't it? What we celebrate shows a lot about us and about what's important and valuable to us. You know, when we celebrate things, that shows something about, about our character and our nature. You see, God here says, not only will I search and I find, but also consistently, when they are found, I will celebrate, I will party, I will be excited, and I'll be more excited about that than over the 99 others that are already found. And this is a hard concept for, for both of those two groups to hear and, and, and respond to. Again, two groups, the religious elite and the religious outcast, hear this and they respond in very different ways. Religious elite, many may hear this and say, Yeah, but 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 Jesus, good teacher. You have 99 other people. You have 99 other that are found. Aren't you going to help them? Doesn't it matter? Don't you care about them? They're faithful. They're working. They're here. Doesn't it matter that you have them? I mean, yeah, one ran away, but that one, she was kind of ugly anyway, you know, or, or whatever else. You know, if this, who cares? You have 99 other others here that, that you have. The outcasts might say, I am the one. Why in the world would a holy God, why in the world would a good shepherd, why would he leave the 99 to come and find and search me? I heard it. They get it. They get it. All right. I just heard it. Why? Wow, they're still going in there. That's pretty cool. Why would the master leave the 99 to come find and search me out. Doesn't the master know? Doesn't the master understand? Doesn't he see and know what I have done and all the things that I have done that have caused me to be out here? Doesn't he get it? Why would he do that? Well, the reality is, this is not about what we do or don't do. It's about him and his grace and his mercy. And if you attend Bridgeview Church and you are a part of the 99, that is awesome! I am excited. I am thrilled. I'm, I'm excited that you're here. I'm excited, and it's part of our mission, part of our goal, that we help us, all of us together grow in our walks with Christ. That is amazing. There could be no better feeling in the world than being a part of the 99. But that's not the mission. The mission is not to just sit in the, the pen and enjoy our safety and enjoy our time. The mission goes far deeper to the heart of the, of the master, to the heart of the shepherd, It says, I'll leave you, because I want to go find the one that is lost. Our mission is to make it more enjoyable to stay in the pen until the time of the end comes back, unless the result is John 14:23. Jesus replied. All who love me will what? Will do what I say. My Father will love them. I will come and make my homes with each, of, with each of them. What does he say? What's important to him? That's revealed here in Luke chapter 15. One of the most well-known scriptures, if not the most well-known scripture in all the world, John 3.16 says this. It says, For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. For God so loved the world that he gave. You see, that's the heart of, that's the heart of God. The heart of God is, loves so that the heart, of, the heart of God searches. And the heart of God gave. The heart of God searches and the heart of God... Gave. The heart of God searches for the lost one till found. The heart of God gave until that one could be be found in the pen with all the other ones in safety. But like in in eighth grade math, when I was in eighth grade math, we used to ask our, our, our teacher, "Man, what does this mean for us? Who cares? You know, if we know how to, you know." Add and subtract and multiply and die. When are we ever going to use this in life? And so we'd, we'd ask him that all the time. What does this matter? And this is where this matters for us. If you hear nothing else today, I hope you hear this this morning. And this is what I want you to hear. God's heart for the lost also shows purpose for the found. God's heart for the lost also shows purpose for the found. Check out this, this verse here. It's so good. Second Corinthians Chapter 5, verses 18 through 20, and it says this, And all of this is a gift from God, who brought us back to himself through Christ. There is his heart, his heart of love, searching, and giving, and God has what? God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. On my phone, I live by a task list. If you know me at all, you know that if you tell me something to do or or say on Sunday morning, uh, there's a very good chance I will forget it unless it makes it to this. If it's here, it's good as gold. So a little bit of advice for you, you. Say, Pastor, I need you to do this or say this or whatever else. If I don't pull this out and type it in, It's as good as gone. Let's be honest with you. It's just gone. But so, because I've learned that I have some pretty glaring weaknesses. This is one of those. I need help to remember, so I have a task list. And I love this thing, man. I do. There are times I will put stuff on my task list just to knock them off because it feels so good. You know, like an easy, quick thing, you know. I need need to paint something. That's easy. Bam. Here we go. I knocked it off my list. I feel like I did something today. I like that. And to the top of the task list, to the top of the list for every single believer comes this scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, and God has given us this task of what? Reconciling people to him. As, As believers, as Christians, if you say, man, What's my role? What's my call? What am I supposed to do? what? You know, I'm a Christian. I, 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 I worship him. I sing. I praise. All that stuff. What's my role? Well, this, this is your role. You might say, well, pastor, I'm not a pastor. I'm not called to be a pastor. I can't preach. I can't teach. I can't sing. I can't do any you know, of those kind of things. So, is that my role too? And the answer is unequivocal yes. The answer is this for all of us. God has given us this task Of reconciling people to him. This goes to the top of the task list. This goes to the top of what we're supposed to do and be be about. Is that our task is to help and do this. It's why our mission as a church. Make it simple for people to find and follow Jesus. This is not just a nice saying. This is not just a thing we say that sounds really good to put it on paper. This is why we exist. This is why we operate. This is why we meet on Sundays. This is why we have board meetings and meetings and why we have services and why we have things. We are here to help make it simple for people to find and follow Jesus. Why? Because God gave us a task based on his heart that says, I will go and search for the one see many of us many of us as believers and i am included in this we struggle because we are the 99. We are culturally good. Things are good. Man, the, the, the sheep pen is a good place to be. It's safe. It's, it's, it's clean. It's, it's wonderful. It's easy. We are under the protection of the master. We are being helped by him. He is leading us. He is guiding us. It is a good place to be in the pen. But our, but our, our mission, our purpose, our point is not just to live in the pen. Our mission is to go and do what's close to the heart of God and help search for the lost one until the lost one comes home. Why would God tell it like this? Because God understood that we know how this works with our children, those we care about and those we love. We wouldn't search, we wouldn't live like that if it was just a matter it was our children but we sometimes live a little half-heartedly and halfway because we don't understand the heart of God. Now, I'm convinced that if we could understand the heart of God and, and and make this a part of our hearts that we would do things and operate and just live in a different way. We would live our our, our church would be would be different not because of a of programs or not because we're trying to make this happen or that because our heart beats like God's heart beats we search for the lost one till they're found we will do whatever it takes we'll 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 do whatever we have to do we'll search in the highways and the byways we search for the lost one till found and we give whatever it takes to ensure that this is what is taking place among us i promised you i got the chance to to do this across culture uh, last week, I promised you, many of you have asked about how my trip was, and, uh, and I'm going to tell you today. I promised you last week, I'll tell you today, and I, I promised that I would, and, and I will, because my trip uh, was, was so interesting in, in doing this. I got to go cross-culturally to an entirely different culture and preach and teach and see God do some incredible things. I have some pictures to share with you. This first picture today is a picture of, of me... Um, I got to preach at a, at a school there in, in, in Myanmar, and I'll tell you, I, I preached them, I taught them, but these young people taught me a lot. I, I took a selfie of myself there in the top corner, uh, a little selfie of me and, and, and them, and, and it, was, it was awesome. I can't tell you how tired I was at this moment, by the way. I was uh, about ready to fall over, and uh, I, I got to preach, I was just tired. But I'll tell you what, when I was preaching this message... And it wasn't that great, but I was preaching this message, and as soon as I said amen, these young people got up from their seats and they ran forward to the altars. And I, what I saw is, I didn't see a lot of you know, well-oiled music and all this kind of stuff. They actually had a guy, and I'll show you him next because it's pretty awesome, uh, this guy in this, this pink blazer uh, with a soundtrack leading worship, and they were so passionate. They were so hungry. They were so thirsty for the Lord. And when they came forward and they began just to fall on their face before God, man, I saw something that was incredible in that moment. I said, these young people may not have all the knowledge and understanding and skills that I might have, but they far supersede myself in their passion for the Lord. And I'll tell you what, passion trumps knowledge every single day of the week. God can teach knowledge, but God God can't always teach passion. They had passion. And these young people are turning their nation upside down for Christ. It's incredible. So what you see there is you see preaching to them. You see this, this altar time. What you don't see is the huge picture of everybody else. The entire room came forward to the altars. Why? They just wanted to be in God's presence. And, I, and they, they worshiped and they sang and they sought him and, It was crazy because uh, they continued long after we left. We had been up for hours at this point. We were tired and we were uh, just tired. And so our our missionary graciously said, okay, it's time, let's go. And we left we walked out of this, this room and we couldn't hear each other talk very well because these kids were just spending time praying and worshiping and seeking God's face. I remember getting in the tr- in the car, a couple hundred yards from the, the, this church, which the windows are broken out. It's hot. No, there's no air conditioning. Uh, there's there's chickens, <laughs> literally chickens running in in the service while we're preaching. Uh, I'll tell you, for me who is naturally not very good at paying attention. Uh, I had a chicken run across the altar at one point. I had a dog over here, and it was over there in a, in a, in a doorway. Uh, he kept barking at me. Maybe he liked my message. I don't know, or hated I don't know what it was, but there's a dog over there. I, I, there, was just, you know, there was just so much going on, but it didn't matter. The passion was there. It was incredible. Picture number two was was a service. We, I preached that the following day. In the middle there, you see my, my young friend uh, in his purple, his pinky purple uh, Blazer, he loved that thing. He wore it. I was there for a week. I saw that every single day I was there. Uh, it was pretty awesome. This kid loves Jesus. This kid is jumping and shouting, singing. What you see here is you see a church who is very similar to the Bible College that I saw. Here's the church building in the far, the bottom left corner. Uh, the pastor and, and his associate was there with me on the bottom right corner. Uh, you saw we had a service that lasted about three and a half to four hours. Uh, don't worry, I'm not doing that today, but whatever. But it was just, it was incredible, the passion that they had. Next slide here, we have a, a picture of, of some translators. One of the things that I, I discovered that broke my heart as I was there is I saw, we taught a class one day, and I looked at what the kids were learning from, and it was all in English. And I asked the teacher, I said, uh, do these kids know English? And he said, none of them know English. And so I'm looking at this and thinking, why are we doing this? What's happening? He said, well, the reality is they just don't have anything in their language yet. So to look busy, they put English papers in front of them, but they have no concept of what's on those papers. And so we're teaching these classes. We're trying our best to get across, and to be honest with you, their teachers are far skilled, more better and skilled, so we let them teach a lot of the classes, a lot of course. We just kind of helped them as a voice there and, and such. And but again, I saw young people. I saw college students. That it didn't really matter that much. I saw at the end of one of the, the classes. I saw several young people by themselves say, "We got to pray over somebody." So they began to pray and see God's face over uh, over this young person who was there amongst them. And we walked out of that room again. It was so loud and so intense that we just we left. And we, not because of that, but we left. And we, we did. We heard them from uh, yards away praying and seeking God's face over their, their, their friend who was sick and needed some, needed some prayer, completely done by the young people in this, in this, this school. It was incredible. Next slide there is my menu uh, for dinner one night. And I thought this was funny. Chicken with 100 year old food. Uh, down there in the bottom, bottom corner there, that's just funny. Uh, you also see a picture there as well of a gecko who for about five and a half minutes uh, was working on killing this, this, this moth And uh, I had a video of this, actually, and I gave up up about three minutes in, and about two and a half minutes, and then he killed it. It was pretty amazing. But uh, anyway, that was in our restaurants. The next slide here shows a picture of their culture. What struck me so much was the difference between the church and the culture. This is a very hopeless culture. And when I say hopeless, you almost have to see it to believe it. It's incredibly hopeless. You walk into stores, and you walk into shops, and you walk into, and this place we had a chance to go to one of their biggest uh, uh, pagodas. It's a a shrine. And we got to walk around and and see what they believe in and what they operate in. And it was heartbreaking. And not one of our team did not walk out of there weeping after this was over. And the reason why was because the passion was there. There, but, the, but what they are passionate about was so greatly missing, and it showed on their faces. What you see in this, young, this, this bottom middle picture here is a picture I want to point out. This is a young man. I don't know him. I know his story, but I don't need to because uh, I saw many uh, people like this where their parents or someone brings them. This young man was uh, pretty severely handicapped, and he was, he was there. This floor is hot. You are not allowed to wear socks or shoes. So my poor American feet are frying like there's no tomorrow on this thing. And this kid is like walking around. He's swimming on the floor. It's it's crazy. Because they believe that if they bring these guys to this pagoda, and they just have them there in in this place, they're not going to get healed. There's no chance of healing. But maybe, just maybe, if they work hard enough, They'll have a better station in their next life. You look around and you see wheelchairs. You see this. You see all kinds of people who are hopeless. And when I say hopeless, I mean it. It shows in their faces. I didn't want to take pictures of faces necessarily. I didn't want to bug anybody, but it was crazy. Here's the bottom left corner. You see a picture of some some monks. These monks are teenage boys. You see them everywhere in the country. Again, hopeless. The story goes that these young men are dropped off at the doorstep of the pagoda, uh, of the, the monastery, uh, when they're real young, uh, just after they're weaned from their, mo- their mother's uh, feeding. They drop these boys off there, and they are raised by the... By the priests, they're raised by the monks, and so these boys, what they do is they go all over the country, and they are not ever allowed to wear shoes or socks, never. And they have these black, filthy uh, uh, buckets, and they go around and they ask for money and for food. They are never fed by themselves once they get to a certain certain age. Not fed, they have to beg for it. And, they, and the money they receive goes back into the, to the monastery, in the pagoda. When you see gold up there, and things look like gold, that's because it is gold, it is solid gold. The money that they invested in these pagodas would absolutely blow your mind. No lie, at the top of this large one, top right corner there, there's a 75-carat diamond at the top of that. It's so large, you can see it from the ground, and it is huge. And it's it's mammoth, it's incredible, solid gold. They believe that if they provide a beautiful place for Buddha to, to live, that somehow then, in the next life, a better station in life so you see people you see these 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 buildings these 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 places in the bottom corner there you see one of those that's a picture of Buddha they're everywhere they're people with money they're people with position and power who build these things, and they are almost guaranteed the better station in life because they're able to provide for themselves a pagoda spot. I don't know what it's called, but they provide this for themselves, and that's an almost guarantee of their station in life. Now, here's the deal. The young man who is in the bottom corner, that's not a guarantee, okay? He comes his entire life. What is guaranteed is if you put money into this pagoda and you put enough money and you put enough thing in this, that is a guarantee. Twisted, isn't it? But where you look, there is hopelessness on faces. That is until you come to the Christian areas. It is completely different. It is completely, completely different. Uh, next, the next uh, um, slide here is a picture of. Of the, uh, the, the men's dorm at the Bible College. This dorm has been in existence since the 40s. Uh, this dorm here, you see in the middle, it's a picture of a window that's been broken out. It's not been broken out on purpose, it's been broken out because this place is so old. The top corner there, you see a, a, a well that is their, that's their shower. Uh, the boys shower outside there. They put, you know, they have underwear on and such, but they, they shower outside. What you see in the, left, the top left and the bottom right is the pictures of their beds. Their beds are literally put together. It's like one big long bed, the whole place. Why? Because they are overrun with young people that want to join the ministry. So these young people, they have a bed, which is basically a mat on a piece of wood, and they have above them all their clothes, and they have a small trunk at the end of their bed with all of their belongings in it. And they live for four years just like this. It's hot, it's rainy, there is bugs everywhere, there is lizards and geckos and things that come in and and crawl around, and they are the happiest people that you could ever meet. And most generous people. I preached at the church on Sunday morning, and they gave me 20 bucks. I said, no, I don't want that. And they said, you have to take it. Because they're generous. And their entire life, and every conversation I had with these people, these precious people, revolved around reaching people, reaching their, their nation for Jesus. One of the most saddest things I heard when I was there was, what happens several times a year, that because this, this culture is not uh, conducive to believers in Christianity, it's so different, uh, what they'll do is the Buddhists will, they'll place these, these, uh, these carts in front of the churches, and they know where they all are, and they'll have giant loudspeakers on them that project in all directions, and they'll park them right in front of the church, and they'll flip it on full blast. You think we're loud in here sometimes, man. (laughs) you know, they'll flip it on, they'll go full blast, and they will pray, and they will sing, and they will do everything as they can on top of their lungs with the sole purpose of undermining what what the Christians are trying to do. So, literally, these Christians, while trying to teach, and trying to preach, and trying to have service, will have to stop their services because they can't function because of the noise. They'll do that for a month at a time. The Christians are, drawn, are driven into times of prayer and fasting and seeking God's face during these times. It's, it's unbelievable. You think, oh man, this sounds so difficult. It sounds like how can the church function? The church is growing like a weed. The church is growing like crazy. They are trying, again, this college was built for about a quarter of the students that they have in the college. But there are young people throughout this nation that want to come and prepare for the ministry. Many times at their own peril. Many times their family members leave them, and the only family they have are the ones that are there with them on campus. As they go out and they preach the gospel, they are have rocks thrown at them. They are they are are abused, but yet they do it. Next next slide here's a picture of a New Bible College. And one thing that struck me, and yes, we as a church have committed to some things around the world. We have committed to helping to plant a church in Russia. We have committed to helping this school build and finish this Bible school. I was struck by this. The need that they have. What the, 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 the leader told me when they were here was that they have discovered an inroad in the Buddhist families. They do not offer preschool. They have learned that if they offer preschool to families, these families will come to the preschool in droves. It's free. The kids need it. They're learning basic things. Many times we're seeing food and, 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 and clothing and help, and they said that the, uh, the results by families coming to go to this preschool are incredible. And families are coming to Christ because of this. This Bible school wants to open up a center to help teach churches in outlying areas how to open and run Bible sc- or, or, or preschools for families. You know what they want to do? They want to use the men's dorm to put that as a place. Right now, they have nothing. They have no place where it's possible to do that. They have starred the program, and they literally meet outside. I don't have a picture of this. Uh, they meet, yes, they meet outside this green grass. They meet right to the side of that, and they have a classroom out there teaching outlying pastors how to start preschools in their communities. This is what I saw. I saw here young people who are preparing for ministry. I saw them with, you see the smiles on their faces. You don't see this in this country. You see people in this country who are hopeless. You don't find that here. You see people in this country that are hurting. You find here a church and a people who respond to that need and pray for that need and see God do incredible things. This is time well spent. God's heart for the lost shows his purpose for the founds, Let's continue and see how the scripture that we're talking about finishes. Because a task is not given to just a few of us. It's a call to us all. It says, "So we are Christ ambassadors. In verse 20, God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we we plead with people. Come back to God if the band could come forward and begin to just quietly play behind us. Sum up what matters. Number one, what matters is you are an ambassador. You are an ambassador. God wrote a letter of love and hope to the world. This letter is delivered not through the mail. It's carried by you and by me. If you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, you have your calling. You will represent Christ to the world. Let's be a good representation. You're here today and you say, Oh, I'm a Christian. I, I love Jesus, but. I don't know if that's really me you see, you have to see yourself you have to own this you have to say i am an ambassador because if you don't you are half-heartedly following christ and you will miss it you'll miss the mark you're going to miss the thing god's called us to live like this it's different it's challenging absolutely and there could be nothing better than following the heart of god you are an ambassador number two Each of us must ask the question, what can I give to enlarge his kingdom? Again, as a church, we've committed some things this year through our ministry, Kingdom Builders. Now, some of you guys are asking me now, oh, here comes the offering. Nope, I'm not doing an offering today. (laughs) Maybe because you think I'm going to, I'm not going to, I don't know. I'm not doing an offering today because I want this to be something that's, that's, that's deep in our hearts as a church. Not a plea for money, this is a plea for giving. It's a plea for taking a personal ownership of the call that God's place on our lives and doing something with it. As I thought about this message this week, I thought about how I myself spend my time, talent, energy, and money. I'm a pastor. I spend a lot of all those things on what I do. But is what I do doing that because it's my job? Or is it because I am a follower of Christ? It has to be the latter. It has to be because I'm a follower of Christ. That I have seen myself in this place as an ambassador. And my question has to be, Lord, what can I give to enlarge your kingdom? Both here at home in teaching our children and being a greeter at the doors on Sunday mornings. You can't know how vital and how valuable and how important that is being a person who, who comes and prays before service on Sunday morning, setting the table for us as we worship God. To be a person who operates a soundboard or a person who teaches on one of on our classes or the, the many hundreds of other jobs that we have as a church. What can I do to give to enlarge his kingdom? Part of our strategy as a church is to give to missions. We believe in this. We have chosen missions who have the opposite or have the desire and the heart to train indigenous people on how to do the ministry. That's why this ministry is important to us because they are training local people to do the ministry. What you see here is you see a missionary who is by and large a resource for the local church. What they can't do, what they can't raise, what they can't help with, we can. What they are doing is they are training up their next generation to find and follow Jesus. That's something to get behind. That's important to us. That's what we give towards. So I want to encourage you to pray about and think about how you will give towards missions in the year. By praying for it, by giving financially for it, by committing yourself to say, I'm going to go on a trip someday, and I'm going to see this, my, this stuff firsthand, Right here in our own backyard of, of involvement and, and and being a part of the mission God's calling us to do here. It's been exciting to see how God is, has begun to use our church. People are, are are coming to Christ and being discipled and, and finding Him and being filled with the Spirit. And I can tell stories and we will certainly about how God's doing that. And it's pretty exciting. And God's doing those things in our church. Are we there yet? No. We're starting. What can I do to give to enlarge His kingdom? And lastly, each follower of Christ must accept personal responsibility for this mission. Story told of a Japanese World War II kamikaze. It's called he's he's known as the half-hearted kamikaze. And some of you guys are going to get that irony and just few, you know tonight about two in the morning. You're like, oh, half-hearted kamikaze. Well, that's not possible. That's because a kamikaze's whole mission was to make his plane, his missile, right? So the story is told of a, of a man, and this is a true story, he was interviewed back during World War II times, who had, who had flown 50 missions as a kamikaze. 50, five- zero. kamikaze missions, okay? Again, irony, that's pretty funny. And, and so he, he, he's, he's been told this, and someone catches up to him, and, and they, they interview this young man, and they say, Sir, uh, and this is, i got to read this so I make sure I get this, this correct. He says, the reporter says, Sir, isn't, isn't this kind of a contradiction in terms? To call yourself a kamikaze pilot. He said, how can a, someone be a kamikaze pilot whose mission is to fly in, into military bases and give up your life in the process, still be alive after 50 missions? And the pilot said this. He said, well, it's like this. He said, I was very involved, not very committed, but I was very involved. Hmm. I don't know of something that describes the Western church better than that. I was very involved, but not very committed. All your heads close your eyes this morning. This today is not a call to make you feel bad or make you feel good or make you feel anything. Not a call for that this morning. What this is a call for this morning is a call for you to think about what matters. What matters to God? What matters to his heart? What matters as a believer, as a follower of Christ? What matters? Well, we've we've answered that question today on a certain scale. We've answered what matters. If you call yourself a believer today, then you have to do some soul searching. And say, is my life a representation of what matters? Everybody's call is different. Some of us are called to be pastors. Some are called to be leaders of leaders. Some are called to do Things. Some are called to be on the worship team. Some are called to be, you know, whatever. There's a million things that we're called to do. The issue is not, is not how much. The issue is how much can I give? How much, how much can, I, can, I, can I process? You know, I don't want to see you uh, live an unhealthy life. And I don't want to see you do that. But I also don't want to see you miss the mark on the, on the blessing that there is in giving. If you forget, if you miss this, if you don't understand this, you are missing such a critical key part of the, of the, of the experience of walking with Jesus, is that he's called us to give. He is, he, his heart says, I will go after the 90, I will lead it in 99, and I will find the one. I will search their founts. And he gave, and he calls us to do the same. Is that what your life looks like this morning? Because if it's not today, I want to encourage you today, do some soul searching and some commitment this morning saying, God, that's not my life. One area, one way that I would like to have you consider and pray about today is how you support missions, how you support the ministry of the church. This is so important to us as a church that we, that we tithe 10% of our normal giving goes to support missions. It's just, it just does. But, that's, but we could do more. How is God speaking to you to give to missions? What's God doing to, 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 on a day-to-day basis that I'm going to participate in building schools like this? I'm going to participate in, in helping out with planting churches in, in Russia or whatever else or supporting missionaries. What can I do? How can I give? Can I greet? Can I teach a class? Can I cook a meal? Can I whatever? What do I need to do to give? We're going to Close in worship here. I'm going to pray over you in a moment. But as we do this today, I want to open these altars up this morning. No pressure, but there's a place for you to respond to God if you so would feel the need today to respond to God. Say, God, I, I need you to lead me and minister. I've found my life is, 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 is wanting in this area, but I don't want it to be. And Lord, I, I give you my life and my ministry and my calling and all of this, Lord Jesus. You're here today, and you are functioning and living and doing your your mission, and things are going great. I want to ask you as well to pray over people in our church to get the heart that our our church's culture says we're here not for the 99. We are here to search for the one. That's got to be our culture. That's got to be what makes us up and what who we are. Jesus, we love you this morning. Will you stand to your feet this, this, this morning? Lord, we love you, Jesus. We praise you, Lord Jesus. Lord, let this be the culture of our church. And Lord, we are going after the night, the, the, the one. And Lord, we are searching till found. And Lord, we will give and we will give and we will give. Because Lord, we want people to know you, Lord Jesus. Lord, both here in our backyards and Lord, in places like Myanmar and Russia and Asia and Africa and whatever else in between, Lord Jesus. Lord, we will give everything, Lord God, so that on that day, someday, we'll hear those words, well done, how good and faithful servant.